Money FM 89.3. Best of breakfast. The bigger picture, only on Money FM 89.3. Good morning. Welcome to the bigger picture on Money FM 89.3 with me, Sean Chong. And today, we ask the question. Why invest in farmland as a hedge against inflation? And more. So to answer this question for us today, we have Simon england Burma, the head of Asia-Pacific and Middle East Global Client Group from Nuveen. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me. So how are asset allocation trends changing as clients look to hedge against inflation? So I don't think that the asset allocation trends have changed necessarily. And this is talking from an institutional perspective. So I think the desire for broad diversification across the portfolio has, has been in place and maintained in place. Mm -hmm. But there's certainly been more emphasis through this year. If we look at the inflation numbers and how central banks have reacted to that, certainly over the first half of this year and, and what's intended for the second half of this year, then it's been very important for investors to make sure that they've got that diversification into asset classes which offer inflation cover, natural inflation mm -hmm. cover. So real estate, farmland, agriculture, natural capital, inf um, infrastructure, these all have embedded inflation benefits. So that hasn't changed necessarily. All right. So just to put this into context for us, can you explain what is farmland? Because it may not be too familiar with some of our listeners. Yes, yeah, so farmland is, as, as the name would suggest, it is actually investing into farms themselves. And it will be farms that are producing different products, whether it's soybeans, uh, whether it's grapevines, whatever it may be. Um, we as an organisation, Naveen, we own uh, just over 3 million hectares of land globally, which makes us one of the world's largest landowners, uh, farmland owners. So for us, it's been a, an asset class where we are really working with the farmers themselves. So let me just explain if mm -hmm. I can. What we're doing as an investor is, is we're investing in the farms. So we are not just buying the farms and then displacing the farmers. We're actually buying them and then we lease the land back to right. them. For us, it's a long-term income play. And by doing that, what we're actually mitigating there is, is any kind of commodity risk because we, all, we, we already have a forward contract on the actual income of the land itself. So it really is sort of a diversified income play. Could you maybe also tell us how would a retail investor then get exposure to these sort of products? So again, investors typically, given the asset class, it's, um, it's more institutional in nature. So it's okay. an institutional discussion. It's an institutional vehicle. Um, it's an institutional pricing. So it's not a traditional sort of retail asset. Right. That said, we are seeing the sophistication of certainly high net worth individuals that want to get access to these long-term diversified income sources. So as you've rightly mentioned, it's more about how and what's the vehicle for retail investors to mm -hmm. get to that. My offer of advice on this is, is just look at this as a long-term investment. It's not a short-term investment. Retail investors are asking more for these kind of asset classes. And we as an asset owner and as an asset manager, we're spending a lot of time building the vehicles to get them to these kind of capabilities. So they, this is coming. It is is coming in and it is a direction of demand by, by investors. And you've also mentioned that there's various types of farms. Uh, of course, not all are created equal. So how are we able to discern the, the different types? Yeah, so again, we're looking at, so we want to make sure we've got diversification. So that's diversification across geographies. So we have uh, land in, in Europe, we have land in Australia, New Zealand, various parts of the US as well. Mm -hmm. So we're looking at it from a geographic diversification, and then we're looking at the actual produce from those farmlands as well. So whether it's permanent crops, whether it's row crops, we're looking for various different needs across those different farms. Okay, and what sort of historical performance then with these sort of portfolios? Uh, yeah, good question. Compare? 
good question. Yeah. So again, I go back to what I was saying before, which is it's a diversified income play. Okay. So for us, it's looking at it and saying, what's the income of this? Now, historically, it's been in or around that sort of 5 to 6% range. It may have a total return, which is slightly higher, but it's really about the income play that we're focused on. Now, if I bring that into the current environment, it makes it quite challenging for investors to feel excited about going into assets such as farmland. Mm -hmm. Because as you know, at the moment, investors can go and buy US T-bills, you know, three-month paper and get 5%. So why would you go into an asset class which is illiquid, long-term, and you're only still achieving, you know, 5%. Mm -hmm. So it really is about that long-term diversification and diversified income that, uh, that we concentrate on. I see. Okay, so on the note of uh, income and portfolio building, so there's a, the ongoing viability of the traditional 60-40 stock bond portfolio, which has been debated before, well, it's under pressure after in 2022, especially mm-hmm. poor performance. Mm-hmm. So do we see the same narrative then this year and next? In terms of a balanced portfolio? Yes. Look, I think the, the idea of having a balanced portfolio has always been in play and I think it continues. I think what we've seen over 22 and certainly into 23 is, is just the need for diversification and uncorrelated positions across your portfolio as well. Um, I think the desire this year, without question, has been based around credit. Now, whether that's public fixed income or whether that's under private credit, but credit has been the big theme, and, and rightly so, when we give the current climate. The view would be is that the second half of this year is probably not going to be too dissimilar to the first. We've still got inflation, which is stubborn. We've got central banks, which are continuing to um, rise on their interest rate policies. It feels like we're coming towards the end of that cycle, but there's still some more to go. So credit would still be sort of the desirable asset class. But to answer your question, I think having that diversified portfolio absolutely makes sense. And and these markets are a great indication as to why that's important. And of course, farmland is a way to hedge against inflation. Correct. Just wondering, since we're talking about farms here, how big a concern is it among your clients about the issue of uh, greenwashing? Well, greenwashing, so we're talking about ESG here. And ESG is a significant need and requirement for institutional investors in particular. Remember, many of these institutions have declared that they want their portfolios to be carbon neutral uh, by a certain time frame, whether it's 2030, 2040, but there's a, there's a, a designated time frame. And they're focused on that. So that makes it hugely important for them to be investing in asset classes which are offering carbon neutrality mm-hmm. and net, mm-hmm. net, net carbon positive. So that's going to continue. Greenwashing, unfortunately, is where we have the industry and marketing elements of, of the industry, which have then pushed capabilities and repositioned them to, to sit under the banner of ESG. When, when we look through that, you know, some areas, dare I say, could be quite questionable in terms of whether they actually do meet those, those credentials. So I think the, the industry is really tackling this now to say, well, how do we pull this back? How do we make sure that we are offering regulators and, and asset managers and investment companies, how do we make sure that we are offering the right opportunities and that folks can get access to a true position when it comes to whether it's the environment, social, whatever it may be, but they're, they're getting access to the right investments. So do you see ESG as a very big deal among the clients? 
Um, I think in terms of asset allocation it's, uh, and the, the process with institutions, yes, it's becoming yeah, hugely important for, for all the reasons I've just mentioned. If so, you, yeah. so how do they then figure out which funds to go along with their values and their objectives? Yeah, and that's the challenge. That is the challenge because if you look at um, there isn't a standardised index or there isn't a standardised reference point for reporting on mm-hmm. ESG. And that's where the challenges have been. So I think moving forward, that's where the industry needs to spend more time and investors need to get comfortable in that space. But it's coming. It's coming. And would you be able to maybe explain to us briefly what are the sort of different definitions or criteria or management stand- measurement standards they have on ESG right now? So again, it's looking at, um, if we take just one area, if we think about impact, how do we measure impact? Mm -hmm. What's the reference point for success on impact? Is it the number of cars that are on the road? Is it, you know, the the carbon footprint? What is the measure? Um, And there isn't a standard index for that. So a lot of things are customized in their structure. And that's where we're having to work with the industry to make sure that folks and investors really understand, you know, what they're being exposed to and and what is the impact that's being created from that. Right. Okay. And uh, we are running out of time. So on the note of impact, I just wanted to get what your personal view is on technology stocks. I think they have been off to the races lately. So a lot of it has been predicated on what AI can do or AI can do potentially without seeing it actually do anything yet. So do you, what do you feel about this sentiment and excitement? Yeah, and I'm, I'm sort of sat here smiling, if I am. So look, we, we as a house, we don't have a house view on this. So this is, just emphasize, this is a personal view. But my personal view on this one is, I think the tech stocks have gone a very long way in a very short space of time in terms of their valuations so at this quick, stage. Too fast already, huh? It's been too quick, too fast. And I think the underlying fundamentals suggest that, you know, perhaps it's a little bit heavy at this point in time. Um, and there perhaps is going to be a bit of a pullback there. I would, I would just emphasize as well that if you look at the um, futures, and the shorting positions, one of the biggest trades at the moment is shorting of, of NASDAQ. That's one of the biggest trades out there. So that That's kind right. of indicates that there is perhaps a little bit of, uh, it's gone too far. Thank you all for sharing your thoughts with us today, Simon. This is Simon England, Bramal, the head of Asia Pacific and Middle East Global Client Group from Nuveen. Have a great morning ahead, sir. Thank you very much. I appreciate right. it. This is The Bigger Picture on Money FM 89.3. Before acting on the information on Money FM, Please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.